welcome to the SBP podcast, Mobile Filmmaking. This is episode 95, and I'm your host, Susie Botello. Well, if you're ready to celebrate the 10th edition, the anniversary, 10th anniversary of the International Mobile Film Festival, it's coming up on April 23rd. The theme for this year's festival is, ta-da, your story. (laughs) I just wanted to share that with you all before we embarked on a journey, uh, literally a road trip with uh, the two guests for this this year's, uh, this podcast, and that is uh, Patrick R. Young and Powell Robinson. They are going to be sharing their story with you, and their story is quite a remarkable story of how they made their feature film uh, shot with two iPhones during a road trip, and their film will be showcased at this year's film festival. Hashtag MFF 2021 San Diego. The name of the film is Threshold. You can find information about the International Mobile Film Festival, including Threshold, on our website at internationalmobilefilmfestival.com. And one quick direct link to go straight to the page where the event is being featured on our website is to go to sbp.cc. If you want to network or you want to collaborate or you just want to say hi or, or have conversations with the participating filmmakers from our film festival, you only need to go to mobilefilmstories.com and go to the quad. The International Mobile Film Festival is uh, has a topic there on that forum for the participants of the festival. And um, you can just go there and say hello. Registration is free. And, um, and collaborate with them and just sort of close your eyes and pretend you're at the film festival and, and that is sort of like the lobby area where you can hang out with them, ask them questions about their films and, and so forth. We're really excited about the film festival this year, but here's something else we're excited about. This episode. So we are now going to go and share that with you. So get ready and let's roll. If you are listening to the SBP podcast because you love hearing and being inspired by the filmmakers that we bring onto the show, then you're going to love my next two guests that are here right now. Uh, Patrick R. Young and Paul Robinson made a feature film called Threshold, and they submitted that, and it's going to be presented at this year's International Mobile Film Festival in San Diego, which is taking place April 23rd through the 25th. Uh, Patrick and Paul are both from the L.A. area. Welcome, Patrick and Paul. Hey, guys. Hey, um, I wanted to share with our listeners that um, a little bit about you guys, because 
your film, there's an adventurous story about the adventurous <laughs> film that you made. <laughs> um, and I wanted to share that. I find that really intriguing and interesting. And I'm, I'm sure some people are probably not going to believe it after they watch how cool the film is. <laughs> Thank uh, you. <laughs> but, uh, but let's go for it. And let's start with a little bit of an introduction uh, from you guys. Why don't we start with you, Patrick? Hey guys, uh, I'm Patrick R. Young. I'm a horror thriller writer director out here in Los Angeles. I uh, I'm super excited to talk about this movie. It's uh, like you said, it has a, its own very interesting journey that actually starts all the way back to uh, uh, my my middle school, high school days uh, of writing. And we'll we'll get back more into the origins of everything, but uh, this is it's a very personal film. I'm I'm super happy that you have us on board to talk about it today. Wow, that gives me that gives me like the chills. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, um, Paul? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, my name is Paul Robinson. I'm a director and cinematographer, also in LA. Uh, I met Patrick actually in college, where we did. Um, we planned our first movie together called Bastard that came out a year after we graduated, uh, like an 80s retro slasher. A little different from this one, but uh, and a very different making of, which also was very <laughs> fun, but um, not quite the same story. <laughs> well, what would you say to our listeners about how you both came together to both direct? Because, look, I've, I've worked on some films before, and there is no room for a second director in the kitchen, if you know I, mean. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, it was pretty apparent. Uh, I mean, like Powell said, we met freshman year. We were literally, his dorm room was right next to mine. It was pretty apparent very quickly that our tastes lined up uh, very, I mean, exactly. Um, <laughs> he... he our, our, our first film actually had a long gestating period as well. Um, he gave me, you know, a couple characters in 2010 and in 2014, I, 2013, 2014, I threw down a script with them in it. I was like, let's go make a movie. And, <laughs> and uh, oh, it just wow. seemed natural for us to both kind of be at the helm of things. Uh, it, it was very easy. Uh, we were always on the same page. Uh, is never an issue with me telling an actor something and Pal being upset about it. We always knew that we had each other's back. Did yeah. you both, were you both studying the same subject? Was it, were you both studying film? Yes, but Patrick was in the screenwriting program and I was in the production program. Um, I was going to school thinking I was going to graduate as just a cinematographer. Um, and I think, just. yeah, at least <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, in terms of like, you know, not leaving as one of the hyphenates who's like, I'm a DP director editor. Like, I just wanted <laughs> to emphasize in one thing um, and just get really, really good at that one thing. And so it kind of it worked out for the for the best. I would say that Patrick and I complement each other so well as directors on set because we kind of come at it from different angles, but with the same end goal. Um, so we're always we're always thinking along the same track. Yeah, a lot of and people this, ask. This movie, this movie that you guys made together, I'm sorry. Uh, this movie, this is going to happen because it's two of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, this movie that you made together, not not Threshold, the other one, Bastard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that one, was that also a feature film? Yep. 
Yes. Feature okay. film That's had a, a small little theater run, uh, DVD, Blu-ray. You can rent it on Amazon or iTunes anytime you'd like. Nice. All right. Sorry to interrupt. What were you going to say? Well, I was, I was just going to say that uh, when people hear that we're co-directors and hear that I'm a writer and Powell's a cinematographer, they're like, oh, okay, so Powell only handles uh, you know visual stuff and you handle all the character stuff, but it's not it's not really like that. Or my directing style comes, you know, very much from the writing side. And, you know, Powell has certainly a, uh, a higher understanding of the technical aspects, but Powell is just as deep end with the characters as I am. Uh, and I'm, you know, very opinionated about what our movie looks like as well. So yeah, we're, honestly, we're very last, much, oh, sorry, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> we're very in tune. Clearly. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> but we we have our hands uh, both in everything and I, I think we're just at the point right now where we understand that uh, we still get along and we're still better directors together than alone so why not <laughs> well yeah but you know also there have been you know like like band members right they can be so close for so long and then all of a sudden they have a split up it's like the end of the world you know um, so it's really really you know more power to you that you've been able to, you know, get along and actually agree with each other to keep going on to these projects together. Uh, this one film threshold was, my God. Uh, I, I mean, it was like, I mean, not that I was there, but I can feel you because <laughs> it's like I've worked on films and it's it's bad enough when just there's, there's uh, confusion in the script. But you guys didn't even have a script, right? <laughs> you had, uh, you had the, the semblance of a script, the the essence of one, maybe. The, the, you had the premise. We had right? the Lacroix of scripts, <laughs> <laughs> written on napkins. Yeah. Basically, uh, share or a little bit who... about why this story is so personal to you. First, uh, yeah. So it's it, it started. You know, I've, I've been writing uh, for a good long while and I think dating back to, I can't remember if it was middle school or high school, but I, I had this idea for a, a, a short story that I wanted to write about uh, this couple uh, and one of them got involved in this black market drug called physical marriage is what I called it at the time. And it was a drug that where if you took it with somebody else, uh, you felt what they were feeling and they felt what they were feeling. Uh, and this one person had a very bad experience with it and her and her partner were supposed to go track this person down to, uh, you know, either kill them or see if there was a way to break that connection. And, you know, the great thing about writing and story ideas is you can kind of just back pocket them and uh, you know, save them That's for a later date. That's a pretty cool so, 10 thing years to later, think about. Yeah, you know, when you're in like in middle school, as <laughs> <laughs> had some very dark influences early in my life. But you know, ten years later, you know, Pal and I had been you know three years since Bastard had come out, four years since we'd shot it, and we were getting very antsy um, and wanted to just you know I. I had just written a Lifetime movie um, that premiered on Netflix that gave me a little bit of extra uh, money. And, you know, we, we just had the thought, like, can we just go make something? Like, 
us to a producer and two actors, what can we make? And uh, this was one of the first ideas that came to me. And we knew with so few cast members or, or such a small crew, we had to make it uh, as, as as personal as possible. And so we added in uh, a lot more personal connections. I, I am a brother to three younger sisters. So the brother and sister relationship came about a pal uh, you know, has his own history uh, with music, and you know Joey's uh, character in the movie Leo is is very much a reflection of that. Uh, Pal, if you want to talk about how you made this, person. yeah, I mean, it, you know, for me, it, it worked out that my day job does not bug me as much as his does. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had grown up uh, going through middle school, high school, and most of college, uh, in bands, uh, one of the same bands actually all the way up till the middle of college. And I'd kind of not planned on finishing school for a minute there. I thought we were going to go tour. Um, and you know, as bands do, they sort of just, uh, sometimes fall apart. And, uh, it was just a total (laughs) change of course for me. And so I kind of dove right back into film, which I'd always loved, but, um, I think my, my focus had been split until that point. And so, uh, yeah, definitely resonate with that <laughs> on Joey's end. Leo. <laughs> wow. So 10 years later, basically, right? You said? At least, yes. At least. Wow. Talk about having... So obviously that that story itself, what made you feel... I'm sorry to get all deep or, or no, please do. here, but... Yeah. Well, what made you decide 10 years later that this one story, because I'm sure somewhere in between that time, you've had different story ideas that came up. But what made this one really stand out for you? Like, I must make this one. Well, I, I knew we wanted to make a road trip movie. And, you know, we either wanted to, I mean, we, we either had to pick something that was in a single room or we were going to go on the road. And I think we're both very drawn to uh, pushing our limits. <laughs> and uh and it it seemed like a really uh on on a production level seemed like a really attractive <laughs> yeah i mean we had the option of like patrick said staying and doing you know the typical route of when you have no money you shoot it in like one house or one general location and by the end of threshold i think the individual location count was up in the 40s um, just because we were able to drive, pull over, shoot somewhere out, get back in the car, drive, shoot somewhere else out, sleep for the night, and keep going. And, and a lot of those locations I knew we could have access to because almost everything, I'd say about 60% of the movie is at locations from my childhood or places I'd been before. And then the other 40% are places that we just saw on the side of the road. And we're like, oh, let's go shoot there or like an Airbnb. Luckily, with that's phones, so it's very easy to get away with mm-hmm. that kind of thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's actually the you know what you were saying earlier was a perfect segue. Um, let's talk about that. What made <laughs> you decide to? Because you have access to yeah. Cameras. This is the the funny part is so yeah. Since since we did Bastard, I went back to working primarily as a DP. Uh, I would direct every so often when I could on certain commercial projects or things. But uh, so yeah, I've been working exclusively with higher-end cinema gear for the last, whatever, six-ish years. Um, And we knew that, you know, there's a lot of ways to shoot indie movies like this. We could have done a 5D or, like, a couple, some sort of DSLR thing. But we were pretty sure that with all the improv, these cameras were likely going to be operated 
by everyone involved at one point or another, whether it was us, the producer, Lauren, or the actors. So it kind of made it more difficult, not only financially, but also on a practical shooting level to do anything more than a phone. But I think Patrick should talk about the text that he got from me that he actually just found the other day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so, I mean, I'll, I'll say initially we the idea of iPhones came up uh, just on a purely uh, monetary basis. Uh, but, we, you know, we, it was kind of a joke. I got to say, you know, we, we, we'd never worked with iPhones before, and uh, it's not something we'd, we'd, we'd super explored. Um, and and, and I, I thought the avenue was completely gone. And then I got a text from Pal <laughs> one day basically saying, look, I might regret this, but I just watch Unsane, and I think we should shoot this on iPhones. <laughs> uh-huh. That's what I saw on Twitter. Today. Yeah, yes. that's, a, that's the tweet or the uh, the text. Oh no, it was on Instagram actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. And, and so it's awesome. you know, just seeing the visual proof that you you know you can make not even just a uh, you know. A movie that's showing off that you're making an iPhone movie, but just like an actual or a movie that felt like an actual movie was uh, yeah, the know, uh, very the, enticing. It was comforting when we had you know our first test screenings, and a lot of people. One of the first things they'd say after they said you know how they felt about it was totally forgot that we shot it on phones, and we knew that we must have embraced whatever look the phone came with enough that it felt natural to the movie, and no one's thought about it since. Yeah, we never, when we were shooting, we were never thinking about hiding the fact that this was an iPhone. I mean, there, there were certainly parts uh, at this point, I don't know if anyone will have seen the movie, but if you've seen, you're listening to this after you've seen the movie, uh, there's a karaoke scene um, that, that was a very, that we shot very <laughs> run and gun that you know, we knew, you know, let's just embrace it. You know, we were shooting on iPhones, let's let it look like iPhones. I think also it's the story. You know, this is what's really, really interesting about this is that you guys didn't really have an entire script to go with. Yeah. But the story is unfolding. Yeah. To anybody. Yeah. We're pretty deep into this, but uh, um, I guess we should lay it out there. We shot this movie uh, on a 12 day road trip uh, with a 23 page outline with minimal dialogue. So the movie was. 99.9% 99.9% improvised and that 23 page outline had no third act. So <laughs> other than two words, other than two words, uh, two words, they arrive. And yeah. the, the last 15 minutes of the movie is based off the words. They arrive. Yeah. So we just knew that they were going to arrive at some sort of destination and whatever, wherever our actors brought us, uh, along the way in the first you know three quarters of the movie we knew would dictate where we thought we should end them but we didn't know where that was going to be 10 days before we shot it and what worked but you know the the characters are really deep like you know for example you know your brother and sister and your sister is cursed right Mm. Uh, or or she believes she's cursed Mm -hmm. and and your character, I mean, this is why I think it's really intriguing that there was no dialogue beforehand, right? Because as you're watching the story, right, 
you're you're sort of trying to come to grips along with your character whether this is real or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, that was and then on top of that, the other layer is whether you believe it's real or not real <laughs> because she believes it and, and you're not sure if she's just, you know, there's something wrong with her or what, right? Well, yeah, one of the best things about the outline, I think, was that it included um, kind of landmarks for when we should feel like we either believe her or don't. And we didn't know what they'd be or exactly how we'd approach them. But we knew at certain points in the movie, we had to throw a wrench in the equation every so often. Um, and to, t- to bridge it back to what we were just talking about, I think part of the what worked out with shooting on the iPhones is that you really feel like you're in the car with them and uh, along for the ride with them the whole time. And so it feels like you're learning stuff as they learn stuff. Um, at least I hope that's how it translates. Yeah, and a lot of that... Of, you know the deepness of the character you know we we can talk about the outline but it, it, it's 90 yeah. percent just our actors are they were amazing actors <laughs> madison west and joey millen they i mean they just fucking oh sorry <laughs> they just, <laughs> it's okay they there just is an e on this but it. we will avoid it yeah there's <laughs> yeah. no big deal um, they they our actors just brought it they they're absolutely amazing and yeah. you know we'd a, a, a lot of their their history together was developed in a uh, uh, our single group prep night that we had uh, two nights before we started shooting, where we sat at a diner with them and laid out a large uh, poster board and <laughs> did a timeline of their whole life together. You know, this is when wow. you know you guys had a fight in second grade. This is when your dad died, and you know there was almost not a single day on set where that wouldn't be referenced or brought up or felt between them. And we even gave them their own timelines on top of that when they were separate from each other. So they had the joint one going through the middle and then there was like the Leo timeline and the Virginia timeline so they could reference private things or mm. or combined uh, memories, which was very, very fun to play with on the road. Yeah, these were like, well, from my perspective, and I, I get to watch a lot of films, but uh, from my perspective, these were well-rounded out characters. They weren't like just sort of completely improvisational, you know, like sort of like, oh, let me just make it up as I go. There was a base to each one of these. Yeah, and that night with the poster board really, <laughs> I think, designed a lot of that <laughs> moving on forward. Yeah, and it was also impossible for actors not to make this incredibly personal for themselves, too. And they were, they were both extremely brave in how much they exposed of themselves, uh, both to us and, I mean, publicly. I mean, we shot, mm-hmm. you know, a good bit of this movie out uh, outdoors and random locations uh you know they had to do some some pretty wild things and vulnerable things emotional things i mean in front uh, of hundreds of strangers on occasion (laughs) yeah i mean specifically madison i mean she she gets beat up in this movie you know (laughs) she's you know getting uh tortured and cursed all over the place and you know she did a lot of that in a lot of compromising uh, situations and we couldn't have asked more from either of our actors has she done uh, theater acting before she studied uh, she studied a bit of, uh, and did theater in school uh, she went to USC with both Pal and I as did Joey uh, and she's also done a good amount of film work she actually just appeared in Mank uh, David Fincher's Netflix movie really mm-hmm. interesting I know someone who was an extra on that, on oh, that nice. film. Cool. Um, that, it's just funny that <laughs> there's always a connection. <laughs> um, 
when the reason why I was asking that is because you know you said she had to do things in front of strangers, and sometimes when you're working on stage in theater, that sort of prepares you a little bit um, because otherwise in film you're really just working around the crew, and sometimes in some scenes you know you limit the crew, you you bring out the skeleton crew for certain yeah. scenes. Mm-hmm. We were so. So far less than even a skeleton crew on this one. We were like a single arm bone. We were uh, You were like a bicep. Yep. I mean I mean our our setup is I mean we had we were our sound, gosh, our sound. Uh we had a single zoom recorder with only two inputs. So we had to choose between using two lobs or one lob and a boom mic. And whenever we were using a boom mic, it was me. Oh, tucking the boom mic in under my armpit and holding the uh, RB camera in my left hand. <laughs> that is so. See, that's me. That's me. <laughs> when I go out, like I, w- I was at Comic Con and I was walking around, uh, grabbing what I could. I had my phone with a gimbal, not all the time, right? Because uh, sometimes the gimbal starts to, you know, it's like it's it it takes on its own life. <laughs> yep. But then I had a shotgun mic. You know, mm. and and the IRIC hooked up to all this at the same time. And I've only got two little hands, you know, and the <laughs> headphones and the whole gear. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, my finger hurts <laughs> from holding this this way. But, um, you know, you, the thing is that if the camera were not so, not just the size, but we practice holding it so many mm-hmm. diff- in so many different ways every day. You know, uh, I got to do this, but I'm talking on the phone, so I'm going to hold my phone or, yeah, I'm texting somebody and I got to find this in the drawer and I'm <laughs> holding the phone. You know, so you do get practice with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also a big credit but, to our uh, our post sound team who took mm-hmm. not only, so, you know, while it's nice to say we had a boom and a love, it's also <laughs> would be untrue. Wait, so, wait yes, it would be but, untrue but, to say that we didn't also just use the iPhone microphones a large portion no. of the time. Um, and, and also, so, at least forty percent of the movie is ADR. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but um, well, that's what I was going to say. The audio is impressive. Thank you. There is no distinction between your film and any other film, right? Uh, that is shot with any other camera. Thank you. Uh, Thank when you. if you're just listening to it, our, our, uh, our sound team. Oof. Yeah. My uh, so my dad actually did all of our dialogue editing. Um, and then really? yeah, he's a sound engineer, and and then our sound designer Charles Moody did an amazing job taking the production audio and weaving it in with the ADR and giving us a soundscape and sound design that is just like way more than we could have ever asked for for uh, a phone movie. Oh, he must have had so much fun doing that. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I was just with him listening to our final mix, and I think 80% of all of the actions you see in the movie, whether it's them just shifting in their seat or, like, you know, on the, ro- on the road when we were only using iPhone mics, it could barely operate over the sound of the car. So, I mean, he pretty much designed every sound you see on screen. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love him already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's amazing. I will say that anybody looking to make uh, a project this big shooting on mobile, I mean, or even on just a, a DSLR or anything else, anything mm-hmm. low budget, if you're you're saving money, prepare to spend it all on sound. Because I mean, I'll, I'll say I, I watch you say you watch a lot of movies. I watch a lot of movies as well. I watch a lot of I try to watch a lot of 
bad movies. Uh, and I will be taken out of a movie with bad sound way quicker than I'll be taken out of a movie with bad cinematography. Yeah, it, it's it's something, unfortunately, that that I always I have to deal with, you know, in a film festival and all film festivals come across films that do that. There are a lot of independent films and, uh, you know, they look great, but the sound isn't there. And that that just kills it. Yeah, it would also be unfair to talk about sound without bringing up our incredible composer, Nick Chuba, <laughs> who like, funny enough, I actually used to play shows with his band when we were in college together. Um, <laughs> and we would like we would do shows together with our same bands. And then he started he got into composing and started writing music for other friends of mine and working actually uh, with Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor um, right out of school. And then wow. uh, has worked on a lot of their projects together. And then including Mike. Including <laughs> Hank, actually, funny enough, and then it came around that yeah, he uh, we we needed we needed a score, and he happened to be in in between projects, and uh, well, the pandemic had also uh, started while we were working on the main chunk of the score, uh. and so he had a lot more time on his hands that he could devote to giving us like the full deluxe treatment, and the score is just unreal because of that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I'm I'm really impressed with uh, with the audio. But but also, you know, you did color grading. Yeah. Oh, our colorist too. Yeah, he did. He's in my other feature, uh Greenlight that Patrick wrote and a bunch of music videos and commercials with he and he's awesome. <laughs> he handled that. Do you know what he used for uh for color grading or anything? Yeah, actually, it's a the color grading is a whole other funny story on its own. Um just because of the process of working with iPhone footage, but he used DaVinci Resolve uh, as he would any other main project and he was a little I think scared, not scared is the wrong word. I think he just knew going in that phone footage would be less flexible than regular footage and then a week into grading, he gave me a, he sent me a text he's like, "Dude, honestly, I can I can grade this like any other footage. I can like do power windows <laughs> and I can like nut shadow levels and things. It was amazing. And he was really excited actually about how flexible um, we had shot in uh, using Filmic Pro and into yeah. as log as you can get your phone to shoot into log. Uh, and it, uh, yeah, he had a, he had a great time grading and brought a very unique look to it. And for listeners, they used an iPhone 8 Plus. It's not like they were using the 11 or something. <laughs> oh, no, we were, uh, this was a couple of years ago now. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and but that's the thing, you know, people say, I'm, I'm, you know, in independent filmmaking, the same thing happens, right? Like I wanted to get a camera, right? So I was waiting to get a new camera. Um, I had a a Canon <laughs> camera, but it was a GL2. This is many years ago. I'm talking mini DV, right? Oh, I, um, I love the GL2. Skate videos were... Oh. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I, <laughs> I still wanted, like, the next camera. But the thing is, like, the next camera, by the time it comes out, you already hear about another one coming out. It's like the iPhone, right? Like when the last iPhone came out, you already were hearing about mm -hmm. the next one. So you're going, well, maybe I should just put that off. And you keep doing that. But along with putting off getting the camera, you're putting off your projects. Mm -hmm. yeah. You're always putting everything off until it's perfect. And there's no such thing, right? <laughs> oh, the X had already come out. Our actor had an X that we shot within a few scenes. We were both a generation behind, but it's what we had. Made it yeah, work. <laughs> and you made it work, and and it well, obviously you. I mean, all your favorite movies your... were made with 
people who shot them what they had, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, look, some of the classic, I mean, we were talking about the movie Signs, right? That wasn't mm-hmm. made with a 2020 camera. That was made with a 1990-something, right? I can't remember <laughs> <laughs> how long ago that was. Time's uh, 2002. Yeah, and that movie is still awesome. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's the thing. You're not making it so that you can watch it in a closet. Right. You know, and that would do no justice to your crew and your actors. You know, you're watching, you're you're making a movie and you're thinking about the story. You got to do justice to the story. And then you also want the viewers to get the most out of it, you know. And that doesn't come, the ability to do that with a camera. That's not in the manual. (laughs) 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 that comes from you and the way that you get there is by practicing and 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 learning how to create those effects uh regardless of what camera there is and that's the storyteller inside both of you um you know a cinematographer is also a storyteller because you're Mm -hmm. telling the story from the perspective in the eye of the camera right Mm -hmm. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because I feel like sometimes <laughs> I have to convince people that it's not all about the camera and the gear. Yeah, um, I, I'd say honestly, it's it's rarely about the gear. Um, when just from a pure storytelling perspective, because it's it's always just if you put it in the right place and move it at the right time, that's going to do light years more for you than having the shiniest new 12k uh yada yada i was gonna swear and i i tried to not um (laughs) but you know i think yeah there's a huge focus on super high res cleanest possible detail and like if you just know where it's right to feel it from at the right time that'll get you a lot farther um so yes you're right but that takes a you know that takes a lot of practice and yep. uh, experience and I, one of the things you know cause we, we we've talked to a good amount of people who want to talk to us but like oh you you know you did it you you took you know like five thousand dollars and you know a couple iphones and you went and with no script and you went and made a movie right and uh on the surface yes <laughs> yeah uh, but you, we we were able to pull that off because both of our actors are experienced professionals. Our producer had produced at that point ten, you know, feature films ranging from you know fifty thousand dollars to five million dollars. Uh, I'd uh, written multiple films. Pal and I had directed together. Pal has shot on music videos with budgets a hundred times more than this. Uh, <laughs> we we were we are experienced people who could knew when to uh, on the fly change things and how to adjust and could withstand uh, this sort of process. I, I don't mean to say that to, to discourage anyone. Uh, we, we stacked a lot against ourselves. Road trip, no script, iPhones, no money, limited cast, uh, improv. Um, and, and and I think that the number one thing I would just say to people is the iPhone is is a is a great tool to get that practice to learn uh, where to put the camera and where uh, and how exposure works using Filmic Pro and everything and the grid lines and all that jazz. Uh, but start 
start small and work up and get that experience for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think well, even, I... Yeah, even if Patrick and I tried to make this particular movie four years ago when we or five years ago when we made Vast, but instead we didn't have the life experience to be able to make the right emotional decisions on the road or the technical experience to deal with a lot of the surprisingly weird technical like camera and sound related issues that we came up as we went. I think, you know, we made the movie with the goal of inspiring other people and wanting them to go do this as well, but just understanding, you know, where your strengths are. And then like Patrick said, stacking the right things against yourselves to be ambitious, but still nail it. You know, like mm -hmm. we really, a lot of people say, take the phone in your, the camera in your pocket and like make something. And it always comes across condescending, but I think it doesn't have to <laughs> if, you know, the, the attitude is just, if you're inspired and you know you can tell something the right way, you definitely should go do it and don't let your lack of gear hold you back. Yeah, like Pal was saying, it's, you know, knowing when to use what, where. And like, no, you're, no one's making 2001 with an iPhone, right? Uh, but if, if it's a tool that fits the right story and the right uh, bit of circumstances that you can absolutely create, it's great. Yeah. There's um there's a thing I was actually thinking about this today because I got to do this thing tomorrow and I want to bring this up because that is kind of the conversation you have on one side people saying if you've got a phone, you know, you can make a movie. And and then you have the other people saying you can you can you can make a movie if you have a phone. And <laughs> I'm 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 you know, both of those things even though they sound alike, they're they're not. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. the whole point is that because you have a phone um, so the traditional filmmaker, right, it is not walking around with a, you know, a JVC or whatever, a camera, right, uh, in, in their car all the time so that they can continuously practice yeah. doing different things with it. The person that is standing, one of you, our listeners, right, you're sitting there and you know you have a phone in your hand right now. You may be listening to this podcast on that phone, most likely. <laughs> and so you're sitting there going, but just because I have a phone doesn't mean I can make a movie. No, but you have access to the camera that can make a movie. Mm. All you have mm -hmm. to do is want it. And, and I think the passion, just like what you were saying about, you know, you had this idea for a movie you know, years and years ago and, you know, you decided to, to make it, that becomes passion that drives the, the action, yeah. you know, to actually take on that challenge. But the ability is there. So, you, you know, people talk about, well, do you have to go to film school? No, you don't, because you go to film school to gain experience, mm -hmm. you know, and to learn things. Right now, you can go to Google and come up. I mean, just do a search for how to mess, you mean, find a detail, you know, how to, uh, you know, light up a thing with an iPhone or whatever. And you'll get thousands and hundreds of thousands of tutorials on this. And so you have the ability, if you want to make a film, to do it with the phone. I also mm -hmm. think something gets lost in in translation with these things where people like, you, if you have a phone, go make a movie. That's not necessarily the only thing you need to do with the, or can do with your phone. I mean, the amount of times, I, I still do this, like I'll see 
some amazing light on something and I will take a video and like and compose it like I would an actual something from a project and then just save it on my phone and never look at it again. Like just <laughs> get just keeping your eye yep. your eye open and learning, you know, learning how to set up a frame that you like, even if you're never gonna look at it. I think that's almost more important than maybe just being like, I'm gonna go shoot an entire feature on a phone right now. Like get your story right first. And just practice because, yeah. <laughs> like, the story, you know, I think that's why Threshold has been received so well. Is it, it truly, we could have shot this on a phone four years older than we did, or a, or a modern one. And I think it would have, or an actual camera, I think it would have been received the same way. It's all in the acting and the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of dialogue. I feel like a lot of the films with intense dialogue, <laughs> you know, and back and forth, you know, and, and two, uh, I, I almost said homemade, whole made actors, uh, characters, I should say, um, will carry that story along and that story will carry. I mean, you're basically holding your viewer right in suspension. There is no ceiling. There is no floor. There are no walls. It's just that story as it's developing in front of them. And they're they're a part of that, like the car scene, like you were saying before. They're a part of that road trip. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so they're physically there and then they're mentally there by, you know, just absorbing the conversation and the stories and this uh, relationship between a brother and sister that is is an emotional roller coaster, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was me barking in case somebody (laughs) wants to know. It's definitely (laughs) also a piece of uh, understanding the reality of like, you know, you have to be objective about the images <laughs> you have to you have to try your best to be objective about the images you're creating because like patrick said no one's shooting 2001 again like on a on a phone there's there right. is a look to phones there's a look no matter what you try and do and no matter how much you argue there is you know there is a certain vibe to an iphone then there's a certain vibe to an Ari alexa and, and a red and like and just understanding what that means to the people watching and not necessarily crafting your story around it but crafting your visual language to not seem like it's clashing with what the iPhone itself can make, I think is very important. Yeah. You don't want the, you don't want it to appear forced. Yeah. Yeah. We you never, know, like you're trying to do something. Yeah. There's no huge, massive dolly arcing moves in, in our movie. <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> well, well, you could have, except for you were on a road trip. <laughs> but it would feel dishonest to the story and also, I think, to right. the look, you know? Yeah, it's all very natural. I mean, we went in, like, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll perfectly admit, we, we went into the movie, like, thinking about, like, oh, w- what are all the places we could stick the iPhone? We could stick it on the steering wheel. We could tape it to the mirrors. We could get all these, <laughs> these weird uh, alien angles and, you know. <laughs> he did it five uh, And, and it, we, it became... <laughs> evident very quickly that one we didn't have the time for that and two the actors were giving us uh, such a a natural natural vibe that you know there, there was no need to distract from that it didn't the, the movie did not need that it's true it's true and you come uh, as a cinematographer i mean that's part of that um, is, you know, the perspective of where you put, the, I mean, people, uh, yeah. I've been, <laughs> I remember I was on a set one time when they wanted to move an entire bookcase for this one scene. And I was a script supervisor there. I wasn't, you know, um, doing anything other than that. And I, and I said, please cheat this, do not 
move that entire <laughs> bookcase. <laughs> and this is not the last scene in this house, in this living room. And you just have to cheat by moving the couch and the this and the coffee table um, and shoot it. And then we put it back after the scene. And everybody went, oh, yeah, actually, let's try it. <laughs> it worked. And that was cool. Could you imagine? I mean, I was just thinking like a you know, in continuity, like, oh, my God, we got to put all those books back in the exact same way for the next scene. Uh, I've been a script supervisor once and and <laughs> I've been every job pretty much on set that you could possibly yeah. be. Script supervisor is my least favorite by far. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I filled I in it. for somebody once. <laughs> I filled in and then it was like, oh, Susie, you're so good. Can you do it again? And then I but they were paying me, so I'm like, yeah. okay, sure. I can't say no to that. But yeah, it, it there's there's so much to that. But in the cinematography, sometimes, you know, I think my point to that was how you can make your life very difficult trying to force something to happen with the camera. Yeah. When you just have to walk away for a second and 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 you know, look at the big picture and then something simple can change to make that happen and still have the same effect to the story that you're trying to tell. Yeah, and I think those decisions come up uh, quite often on indie filmmaking. I think uh, a lot of us grow up, you know, watching Spielberg and watching all of these big, magnificent uh, wonders and all that. And on indie sets, uh, you usually don't have the time for that. And honestly, you know, you're usually working with people at your level who may or may not be able to pull that off very quickly um, or, or smoothly. You know, we, we've learned that lesson many, many times. And I remember on our first film, Bastard, uh, <laughs> we had a simple shot where a girl just had to crawl across the floor and pick up a gun. And we kept trying to do this in a really complicated, you know, minute long wonder where we panned, we, we moved around the table and moved up the table and moved we into her around it. And like, yeah, it was a whole, yeah, and, it and it, you know, it was taking us a half hour to set up and, you know, we were losing night or losing time. And, you know, does it change anything if we just get this in two shots? No. Okay, let's go. <laughs> and there was something about the threshold process that made shooting it, I think, even more intuitive than a lot of other sets I'm on because, um, you know, it's rare that a director, a DP, and the actors get, you know, 45 minutes, at least on an indie movie, to sit, and well, they don't always, I guess, have to do this either, but sit down, talk through what the scene is going to be, and then write the scene on the spot and understand every emotional point in it and then watch as the actors talk it out themselves a few times, and then you trim it down, and then you have like pretty much this whole hour of just being incredibly um, in tune and like very involved in every step of every line of dialogue, understanding why each of it's in there. Because when you're improving and you're writing on the spot, like you got to have your your landmarks to hit. And um, I think the cinematography and our, our camera choices came from knowing those beats because we were writing them as we went. And like we were in it for every single choice. Share with our audience. You said this took you twelve days, yeah. mm -hmm. right? Uh, day one. <laughs> you know, walk us through day one, then walk us through day six, and then take us to day twelve. Patrick, you started oh off on day one. <laughs> yeah. So most of the movie, uh, because of how it was developing and everything, uh, was shot chronologically. 
Um, the exceptions were day one and day two, uh, mostly because we were we started in Los Angeles and had access to a couple uh, buildings. And so we started the, the scene where he the, the brother finds the sister, uh, what he thinks is ODing. Uh, and that is that was my apartment. So day one was us trashing my apartment to look at like a like a drug den, <laughs> and then um, you know it is interesting. Day one was probably one of the easier, quicker ones because it was yeah. a lot of action. Uh, there was not a lot of dialogue, and so you know, beginning this process, we we kind of we had actually no real idea of just what it was going to take to pull off some of the the talkier scenes quite yet. So day one was way different than days two through 12. Yeah. Yeah. So now take us to day six. So where were we on the road at that point? We were still in Utah, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's when your phone froze, right? Yeah, that, that did happen. Again. <laughs> and I, I, yeah, I should clarify what I meant earlier is when you're, on a normal set, and as a DP, you're just watching a blocking rehearsal. You necessarily didn't get to see the entire rehearsal process and understand yeah. all the character work that went into it. Um, and so that's what I meant when, you know, getting to be involved as both director and DP from step one of writing the dialogue made the choices a little more um, integrated. Okay, but day six. So the way that we slowly developed this process, and I sort of stated it already, but it, you know, we fell into this thing where because the actors have their shared history and we had the outline, we developed this thing, actually probably around by the time we hit, honestly, day six or seven, where we would find the place, we would all sit down, we'd discuss where in the outline this was and what exactly in this scene had to, where it had to start and end. Um, and so this was, this was, the operation for literally everything we would shoot from, you know, day two through 12. Um, we'd sit down, talk the generals out, and then we'd integrate some historical facts um, from that big background that we made. And then we'd just let the actors talk. And Patrick and I just sort of sat there and listened to them have a conversation. And it sometimes was like a 25 minute long discussion between the two characters. And then we'd be like, okay, cool. This needs to be eight minutes. So what can we hack out? How can we do this again? And then we'd have a real writing rehearsal where like it was only the concentrated beats and they basically knew how they had to get there. And that's when we'd shoot our wide. Um, nice. And they would, I mean, like the pumpkin scene is a great example of how this process worked great. We shot that wide two shot like three to four times and they got better and better at getting along the, the peaks and valleys of that conversation because it goes up and down a lot even in that talk. It starts off light it gets dark, it gets light again, and um, it involves a lot of the main beats of the movie, and it's a lot to remember. <laughs> and so doing it three to four times in just a wide and letting them speak it out gave them a good rhythm to it so that when we went in for the closes, which were simultaneous two phones at once, because we knew there's no way you could do this single cam and cut the improv right, um, they would have it down to a very concise, probably two minutes shorter than the wide scene. Um, and we would just do that for every single scene you see in the movie. <laughs> sometimes faster because we're in public and we had to steal something or so we were losing light so we'd camp out in like a starbucks nearby and then write it there and then run up like i remember that's how we did the the bridge scene um after there's an air <laughs> you'll know what i'm talking about after the airbnb experience um and 
yeah, we found this gorgeous glass bridge, but it was super populated, and we knew that we get connecting a, like a public mall. Yeah, and we knew we'd get thrown out in a heartbeat if we spent more than forty minutes there, maybe thirty. So yeah, we sat in a Starbucks across the street, wrote it. Our actors, uh, bless them, like acting out a scene in a Starbucks, basically with us, and then we all just ran up. Uh, Lauren held down the fort with all the gear downstairs at the Starbucks, and we all ran up to the bridge, shot it out in like half an hour, and sprinted out of there before we got arrested. <laughs> Gotta love the Starbucks culture, though. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Okay, so, by the way, I love that scene, the the pumpkin carving thing. Oh. Um, that, was a, that was a great scene, because that yeah. it just felt like there was some real connection developing there that you don't get to see throughout the the entire film before that. It's the real turning um, point for the movie for me. Absolutely. It's the it's the the point where you really feel like not on just a joking brother sister way but on an emotional brother sister way that they're finally coming together. Yeah, and Patrick, you want to talk about Will a little bit here because I feel like we haven't brought up the editing yet and the pumpkin <laughs> scene the pumpkin scene is probably the best example of how incredibly well done will handled editing the improv which i'll lead patrick in by saying we handed our editor a hard drive with about 20 hours of improv phone footage and no script because we didn't have right it. yeah he he was given the, the hard drive with all this footage and then an outline the 23 page outline which we forgot to tell him we changed the order around as we shot <laughs> didn't have the ending and had scenes deleted from it <laughs> so I don't think you ever could have paid this guy enough. <laughs> and he did he did our first movie too, Bastard. He was also on our floor, uh, our dorm floor freshman year. We all met on that dorm floor. So was so was Madison. Nice. So was Madison. Yeah, and so yeah, I mean, he just did a great job at he found the right base layer take for the improv, one that got us through all the beats and then just did a really cool job of stringing in the best emotional pieces from each alternate take and <laughs> Especially because that pumpkin scene is not in the order that it's shot. No, there are like the movie and or that scene ends during a beat that is actually in the middle of the actors talking, and it's you know hmm. there are just moments that you know are yeah we don't want to give it away yeah right but he 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 retold the story in in a more you know structured way than we could have ever dreamed and it was just you know he, he did some real magic on it nice okay are you there yes yeah yeah okay so now let's go to day 12 your oh. last day <laughs> the last hurrah <laughs> so day 12 like i said we our outline did not have the ending uh so our ending was figured out a day and a half before the finale with Powell, Lauren, and I sitting in a Buffalo Wild Wings outside of our <laughs> hotel, deciding, like, what the hell needs to happen? And, you know, there was a lot of discussions of, you know, could we make this big? Could we change, like, FX the sky to make it all purple and have, like, some <laughs> tentacle demon in the background? And, you know, ultimately, it's just, uh, no, this has been a very personal, small story, and we can go a little bigger. I mean, Day 12 has our most cast members... Um, mm-hmm. which <laughs> were, were <laughs> yeah. our most cast members than any other day, uh, but it didn't need to be, you know, an underwater or something like in the mouth of madness. It didn't need to go that big. 
let's talk more about the the process for you guys <laughs> because this is this is the day where you're wrapping the story, right? Yeah. Well, okay. So I guess yes. then the, the place to start, yeah, like you said, the Buffalo Wild Wings. Um, yeah, I mean, so <laughs> without getting spoilery, there is a point that is to us the real emotional ending of the movie that is the yes. ending for the characters and those are the moments that we discussed most with our actors and then everything after that was let's just have some fun <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> so a, a, a lot of the the character uh stuff uh was handled in the first half of day 12 and then everything after that was our most technical organized most moving pieces of the shoot it was you know, we had our uh, our costume designer on set, who you know is also included in the cast as well. <laughs> um, you know, we we actually had what felt like you know a living, breathing set. Um, so th- it's pretty. Wild. Was there a part in that process where you're sitting down, you know, Starbucks or whatever, right? Uh, you're sitting down. You're saying, "Okay, this is the last day. We gotta make sure if there's any loose ends coming from a script supervisor here." That's what happened in that anything. Buffalo Wild Wings. We talked yep. about everything we needed to tie up there because we hadn't talked about it yet. That was our come to Jesus spot. It wasn't Starbucks. It was a <laughs> Buffalo Wild Wings in El Centro um, <laughs> by the border. So, um, and that that conversation decided uh, a lot of things for us. Uh, you know, originally in the script or in the outline script, uh, you know, these actors have, uh, like we're supposed to have this long conversation about, uh, any regrets they have or what they think about death. Like, I think it literally says in the outline actors talk about what they think about death and <laughs> you're supposed to get, you know, all this foreboding stuff before going into, uh, an ending where hopefully you don't know whether or not one of them is going to die. Uh, but out of that conversation and out of what our characters built, we, we realized like, no, actually what, what this needs here is a more uplifting personal conversation. And, um, born out of that is one of my favorite scenes, uh, in the, in the movie where the two actors are just share a a small phone call with somebody else. Um, and and so it, it was those kinds of moments, uh, and what happens, uh, and the final uh, location right. of the movie uh, that are born out of uh, everything that came before it and the conversation that we had in that Buffalo Wild Wings. Yeah. As far as Susie, <laughs> to kind of continue answering the other part of your question, yeah, we had another we had another place, and I can't, again, I'm trying to stay real spoiler-free here, but we had a place we were allowed to be at that is featured in the movie where we were staying. Mm-hmm. And the ending of the movie obviously takes place outside, um, partially at least, and we could not plan it all outside because not only was it freezing, but we would be stealing all of those shots as well on someone else's property. So we planned, <laughs> again, the entire technical ending much more traditionally in like a real blocked rehearsal um, in, our, in our home location that we had to stay in. So was there any point at which you guys were... Uh, watching the footage again just to make sure there wasn't something that you needed to wrap up 
you know, from all the dialogue and the story and everything like that? Hilariously, not at all. We would take the phones at the end of the day, dump the footage and not look at it. Um, we, <laughs> I don't mean to sound like we were careless or we didn't care and any like emotionally in any way. It was just we were moving so fast that there wasn't time at all to stop. Yeah. I mean, we were dumping footage while we drove to other places to shoot more. And there, there was just sort of, we just, we were so deep in it and all of us together, like us, Lauren, the actors, it was all in our heads so deeply because we were living, living it every day with no break from wake to sleep. And, mm. uh, and so by the end of it, we, we really knew a lot of what we had to tie up and we knew that it was, there was enough info previously that we weren't missing any beat because we would never leave a writing rehearsal without having the beats we needed. So we kind of just trusted the process and, and kept chugging forward. We would, we would check, like you brought up earlier, the phone freezing. We would check technical things. So if the phones froze, we'd run into or the car. Overheating. Or <laughs> overheating. We'd see if the take saved. And actually the mountaintop scene, we lost probably two to three takes. We had to keep yeah. running out into like 11 degree or colder yeah. with the wind chill weather and keep reshooting it and warming the phone up in between hoping we wouldn't. We, we had it. to alternate because it, it overheated in Vegas and it froze in Utah and we would have to alternate phones basically. And that's the only time we actually reviewed. Otherwise, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the thoroughness of the writing rehearsals kind of baked most of the info into our brains. Yeah, and you had electricity to, you know, when you were doing that, as opposed to being out on location, wearing out your battery by reviewing footage. Yeah, I mean, it was it was mostly just we just didn't really want to review. I think we knew we were living it chronologically day by day, mm -hmm. and it was more organic and like true to the story. To just I mean, there there was there yeah. <laughs> This was our our complete life for 12 days. I mean, a, a typical, I mean, there there's days where we would wake up, we would shoot for six hours, we would drive for six hours, then we would, and, and most likely shoot during the driving, and then we would get to a new location and then shoot another six to eight hours. You know, and then we yeah, would- You were you completely know, submerged. And yeah. then depending on the location, I mean, there were nights where- we would all sleep in the same uh, same uh, hotel room to, to yep. save a little bit of money. Um, so it, it so was... <laughs> insanity, yeah, insane with no breaks, it, like, with no days off. It can be done. <laughs> yeah, the no days off I think is why we didn't have to ever review anything because it was just like totally linear storytelling on the go. <laughs> and because it was linear, we didn't even. I mean, we weren't even really checking. Uh, wardrobe because we were sh just shooting in order. <laughs> we were so we just yeah. changed yeah. the clothes every day, and like it was yeah. the right day for the for the next wardrobe. Right, that's true. Yeah. Wow, that's like that's an incredible. I mean, your movie's incredible, but this story <laughs> of how you guys made the movie is pretty incredible. You I mean, I wish I could remember more about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is that is our biggest, you know, I, I wish we had more behind the scenes footage. But I mean, the reality of it is that none of us ever had a hand free. Yeah. Uh, right. I was either working a second camera or I was working a boom. Powell always had a camera in his hand. Lauren sometimes two was cameras. Is, yeah, sometimes <laughs> two cameras. 
Pal, there were times where we had a camera set up on either side of the car on tripods, and I, I would see Pal running back and forth around the hood, just checking each <laughs> angle. Uh, you know, Lauren sometimes used a camera, and was also you know deep in making sure that we had a place to stay and had a place to shoot in the next and day and actors that night. wherever we landed like whenever we needed an extra or someone because uh, you know the movie has a couple extras in it we won't say where or how but they pop up right and then our <laughs> actors were acting so i mean there was while i wish we had uh, a lot more to show the insanity of this this process I, we were just making a movie and so then, do I have to I, I I have to ask then. So ten years in the development in your head, <laughs> you finally get this movie made. Now, share with our listeners, are there any regrets, really? I mean, I know you've said I, I wish we had this or that, but in the end, once all is said and done, the film's in the can, right? Uh any regrets? I, we could have used think... a sound person. <laughs> Yeah. We could have used the boom. I mean, there. I think there's a difference between there are things I would do different, and and having regrets. I mean, this I'll, I'll straight up say I've written, uh, I've had five movies, you know, made and produced. Now I'm very very grateful for that. Threshold is the thing I'm most proud of to be a part of, uh, in in my entire film career. It, it, it's. I am very, very happy <laughs> with this product uh, and very, very proud of what we made. Uh, and so I, I, I don't want to say I regret anything, but there is a lot that if we did this again, we would do differently. I feel but you wouldn't now. have to go out and remake this movie because it was... See, this is the thing. There are many, many filmmakers making movies that never get completed. And that's the regret. That's to me. That's the big regret that you you bring people together. You you spend all this time. You do all this work, and then it never ends up being finished. You never complete. You know, there's three parts to producing a film. There's yeah. pre and production and post production, and then you're done. You know, and then the fun begins where you start mm -hmm. showing your film and and things like that. But it's a big letdown. That's the biggest regret is not finishing your project basically yeah. right I'm, i mean we we shot this in 12 days and the post process lasted two years and now it'll have been another year after that till it'll be available to the public i'm so it's it's like yeah. lord of the rings <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean like patrick said there i don't think we can have regrets because if we did this movie if any aspect of it changed it, it just wouldn't be what it is. Like, it, you know, it's unfortunate that we had to str struggle as hard as we did to make it, but at the same time, it was so worth it because the way that we did it is the reason... Uh, this sounds redact redundant, I guess, but the, the way we did it is the reason it came out exactly the way it did. And if we changed one element, I don't think it would have the same, you know... I mean, obviously, we could maybe have used a different... Uh, would have been the butterfly effect. A bigger car would have been cool. But like, you know, yeah, <laughs> the butterfly effect. Uh. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and again, you know, I talked about the, the expertise of everyone involved. But I mean, the other part of it is, is the, this specific movie could only be made with five people who really trusted each other and knew each other. You know, you, you don't, you can't go with a stranger for 12 days and, you know, pay, pay them pennies to sleep on a hotel floor. You know, it, it's got to be, you know, 
we next were to you five on the people floor. Who knew, yeah, 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 right. Five people who who really trust each other and want to make something really different and unique. Did you guys ever run out of gas or anything like that? Uh, thank God, no. 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 Our, I think our I think our gas budget, gas and food, was you know the the two things we always made sure to have <laughs> there was that okay the nicest part of the whole trip was when we stayed in that airbnb though because you'll see it in the movie it's a nice house and yeah. we all got our own rooms for the first time mm. in like a week <laughs> and it was a very like modern comfy like big beds oh god it was awesome um <laughs> nothing like the experience they have there in the movie <laughs> 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 so funny uh yeah right and then you go home and you're going so what are we making next it what's was, your next film guys what are you working shock, on now by the way getting home from that trip like yeah. i don't know patrick if you felt the same weird sense of like tv season finale ending like, loss <laughs> of like depression when, when a tv yeah. show ends. it was yeah. hard to go from like i mean we oh. you know i said we were close before but i mean that was a family you know Oh, there's yeah, a the reason at the beginning of this movie. Too. Yeah, and there's there's yeah, a reason at the beginning of this movie. And and working on a film together, I've 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 got a family of people that yeah. I've worked on films with, which you know you end up working with again. And sometimes that's the drive for making more films. Is like let's get together and have some fun. Let's make another movie. That's the greatest excuse, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like I said, there's a there's a reason at the beginning of this film. It is a film by. All five of us, Joey Miller, Matt, Lauren Bates, Powell Robinson, Patrick Young, is it could not have been made without any of those pieces. So I'll ask you again, what's next? <laughs> we're uh, we're working uh, on that now. Yeah, we're we're focused right now on uh, prepping threshold for delivery because surprise, we did get distribution, uh, which we're very yes. happy about through Aero Video and Aero Player. Uh, so May first. Our film will be available to stream on Arrow Player. Uh, they do offer free trials. And then uh, a couple months later in the summer, we will have a Blu-ray and Amazon iTunes release. Nice. Yeah, we couldn't be more happy about where we ended up. We'll, we'll throw a link in there. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. <laughs> but are you outlining another film? I mean, Patrick and I are always both writing and working on new stuff. <laughs> yeah, we have completed scripts. Uh, we have projects in the works. Uh, it, it's, you know, you spend enough time in, in L.A., you, you realize you have to have uh, 20 buns in the oven expecting 21 of them to fail. So we, we have a lot we're pushing <laughs> forward. And if one of them, uh, one of them actually happens, uh, we'll be very lucky. And I'm excited for it, too. It's like that chocolate chip cookie in the middle of the pan, the one that came out perfect, right? Yep. The other ones are like burned or whatever. <laughs> yep. And, and threshold awesome. is, is, uh, happened because we'd had a lot of burnt cookies. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with that. Yes. Um, that's, that's pretty cool. I love that analogy. You guys are so intelligent there, uh, <laughs> philosophical. <laughs> um, like cookies. Hey, I know, right? Let's, let's talk <laughs> cookies. <laughs> um, we are now, we've, we've, you know, I mean, I, I could continue to talk to you guys for a long time. And, and we may do this again uh, after the film festival. Um, great. You know, I hope you guys make more mobile films. Um, you know, I'll, you, 
I'll definitely support you no matter what you end up making <laughs> as far as <laughs> what that. camera you use. I mean, this community um, has been, you know, we've played uh, two mobile festivals now, Cinephone in Spain and Smartphone Flickfest in Australia. Yeah. And this community has been extremely welcoming. Yeah. It's, it's, Would you it's like really cool. to know that I've met both? Well, the original founder of Cinephone was here oh, wow. uh, in San Diego. Yep. Uh, because my mom's from Spain and, uh, and all that oh, wow. too. So we were able to communicate in Spanish. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and also, uh, uh, Allison crew and Angela Blake. Yeah. Blake. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I talked right. to Allison quite a bit. Yep. Well, so they both were here in San Diego. They were visiting in LA, somebody there, and, uh, they drove all the way out to San Diego on a really bad traffic day. Something happened. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and we had tacos because I'm a, I'm the, uh, ambassador for tacos in San Diego, <laughs> uh, on Tuesdays, but we, uh, I did meet them both, uh, both of these, uh, you know, festival founders. So it's just funny when, when you said that, because it's like, oh, I've met them both and they're both in completely different parts of the world. Yeah. It's cool. We've, we've you know. been able to spread our wings quite far. Um, yeah. we actually, we, we won. Uh, best feature at SF3, uh, which was really oh, nice. cool. And then we lost Cinef- We got second place to Cinephone <laughs> to the movie that won Smartphone Fickfest last year. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, that's interesting. But you did not lose. Uh, you know, I mean, just no, again, you, you won by completing the film. Yeah. And, no, um, yeah. yeah. And, it's a, and it's a great film. And it's not like, Oh, we we want to. We're not looking for films that don't look like they're shot with an iPhone type thing. Of course, we're just looking for great stories and and great films. Um, you know, and and a lot of you know a lot of film festivals are themed around a particular genre, say mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Um, and in mine, I mean, you're gonna see at the film festival in April that there's a variety of different genres, including experimental films and Mm -hmm. things like that. But for the feature film category, we're looking for narrative films and you guys made it. You're one of them. And I (laughs) wish you guys the best of luck. (laughs) Whether you you win or not, you still win. Appreciate (laughs) it. Uh, And I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to watch some of the other films. Yes, and no, you're going to watch them all, not some. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the other thing is that we hope to see you guys uh, once this whole pandemic, I almost cursed here myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. No one. It's over with. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll love to see you. You're right there next door. Uh, so Yeah, I know uh, the drive anyway. down to San Diego well. I haven't missed a Comic-Con in seven years, so. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, we I've done uh, 2016 through 19. The the last we one may have had. bumped into each other. We could have. What were you dressed as? No, I'm just kidding. It depends on the year. I, I went through a stretch there where I, I'd buy a uh, a kid's version of a costume and then cut it up and try to fit into it. Walk around a bit. Got me some looks. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they started getting, uh, well, uh, the, the last year that I was there, uh, was crazy because they were, you know, everybody's bringing like these, these weapons, right. But they're not real. And they were making everybody 
uh, strap them on into to their bodies so they couldn't play with them. So it took it took the play out of cosplay. Um, so it's <laughs> yeah, crazy. But yeah, I I love the uh, San I love San Diego. I I love where I live. I love the culture here. The you know the people here for the most part very open. Uh, you were talking about Starbucks, and I, I can go to any Starbucks here in San Diego, pretty much, and it's the same culture of acceptance and willing to, sure, go for it, do whatever you want. You want to make a <laughs> movie, you want to take over, you want to change the tables around, go for it, whatever you need. You know, it's great. <laughs> so um, so we'll, we'll see you guys in San Diego. We'll see you at the film festival. Thanks for taking taking the time to you know have this great conversation so i i really think that uh our listeners are going to get a lot out of this um I hopefully hope so. they'll have a script <laughs> you know but <laughs> but if they have all kinds of experience you know maybe you could just do an outlining you know go out there and make a feature film right yeah and uh, we're I'm, I'm i'm an open book you know if, if anyone listens to this and wants to ask more questions you can reach out to me uh, on my twitter is where i'm most active uh, at just young enough uh, or you can reach out directly to our film's instagram uh, threshold underscore film same with me on instagram too pal robinson you'll find me fairly quick uh i yeah we're both very always willing to answer anyone we're gonna we're gonna give out those uh, that information also in the opening at in the podcast cool. uh, in case okay. someone decides they they get interrupted so they don't miss that and we'll throw the links as well and you have a trailer so we'll put that in there as well and we'll toss a few cookies. Great. <laughs> 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 so wonderful all right say goodbye to all our listeners thank all you right. for us. bye listeners